Hi, this is Delegate Jared Solomon, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast. We may not always agree on policy, but I think we can all agree that this is the best podcast in Annapolis. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with my co-host, Michael Sanderson. Michael, how are you today? Doing okay. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. <laughs> we are recording Friday morning, Michael. Morning. Right. And, and, and so if the listeners can tell, there's like a little different cadence and sort of a little you know haze in the atmosphere. We're a little bleary-eyed. You know, a long night of legislating and session work and reading amendments and all that kind of stuff. That's that's pretty much uh, what late session is all about, right? A lot Absolutely. of legislative work happening in Legislative town. work in that's town. Right, yeah. And legislators also doing a lot of legislative work around town. For sure. So on this episode, we will get into some high-profile issues this week in Annapolis. It was a very busy week. We'll talk a little bit about gerrymandering. We'll give you an update there. Talk about the budget and then a few other odds and ends. And Michael, let's start on the budget. We talked about the budget a little bit last week. Where we left it was that there was a conference committee coming together to work out different between the House and the Senate versions of the budget. The update here, of course, is that the budget conferees came to an agreement on a new spending plan. It includes about $255 million in FY20 for the implementation of the recommendations of the Kerwin Commission. Yeah, the, the, blueprint, the, yeah the, the, the blueprint beginning for, for a, a next level of investment in schools. Right. And then in the budget, we have $500 million for school construction. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But, Michael, uh, notably here, and we've, we've discussed this, no shifts, no cuts to county funding. And that's significant, right? Right. It's a, it's, it's a really big deal to counties. And we're, most counties are right now assembling their budget for next year. And sensibly, we tend to go as the state is wrapping up. And there are, there are lots of years. Actually, I think the majority of the time, there are things still in the balance this late in the legislative session that affect what a county can put into or leave, has to leave out of its own local budget. And you know, we've seen this thing with shifting costs for the assessment offices mm-hmm. or, you know, a cutback in some program that the counties would feel like they'd have to backfill. You know, we saw a you know, little back and forth this year about community college funding, but yeah, issues of that nature are always tricky if you're a county leader, you're a county executive, you're a county commissioner or a budget officer, you're into the month of April still trying to figure out what, you know, what can we expect from the state? Is there going to be a new hole to fill in that county budget? This year has been in relatively placid for for the state point of view, but uh, very much so on the county side. This just hasn't been a year when we've been fending off big fights like that. Yeah, normally we would see some proposals either in the governor's budget or from legislative analysts or in subcommittees to to shift or cut funding, and and we're not seeing that. So that's a a good news for all counties that are working on their budgets. You have some some clarity there. Right. I mean, I mean... Predictability is one of those things that budgeteers really like. They under they, you know, they like understanding. Here's where we're going to be. So right. and and like you know, this was the first year in several years we weren't fighting over transportation funds, mm-hmm. and that shouldn't you know shouldn't be left out. That the the share of the gas taxes and so forth that went to local governments year after year, it's been an add on in the governor's budget, and we just didn't know whether it was going to hold, and we had to wait to see the final state plan. I mean, this year after legislation last year said we're going to go to a higher level and stay there mm-hmm. and 
build it in, there really wasn't any debate about cutting that back this year. So that's been, you know, that's been nice if you're trying to do some potholes and, fi- and fix some roads and bridges. Yeah, it was weird not to be fighting over highway right? user revenue yeah, this year, no um, but it's a good thing. So we mentioned uh, Kerwin funding and school construction funding, Michael. Interestingly, you know, we we know we've talked about the blueprint bill. You mentioned it. That bill, the Kerwin bill, has not yet moved, but we do expect it to move. And now that they've allocated some of the funding, the bill will have to be amended. But no doubt, it's not like this bill missed crossover, so it's not going to move. Right? Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to think that there's going to be a procedural problem getting a bill to pass. So, I mean, the funding elements were sort of in the budget and the reconciliation bill. There's still some work for the governor to do some follow through on. So we'll, we'll see about the final pieces of that. But I think that the expectation is that one or both of those bills, the blueprint for Maryland's future, mm-hmm. um, one or both of those bills are going to move in the days ahead and in more or less more or less the form that they started out. I mean, there may be a, you know, a, a, a little, you know, turn a clank here and sure, ratchet that. Sure. But, uh, but I think in, in big picture, those look, bills will look substantially similar and they'll get, they'll get through. So the operating budget is done. We're now working on the capital budget. Michael, I know there is some extra money for school construction in the mm-hmm. capital budget. And on that note, we talked last week about a school construction bill, high profile bill. Right. That bill had a hearing this week. The money in the capital budget, the extra bump for school construction, how do you read that in regard to this big school construction bill that is currently sitting in the Senate and awaiting action? One thing process-wise is for for people trying to understand the Maryland budget process, we're one of a kind, and you and I have made reference to this all the time, that in in the Maryland budget – the governor has to put funding in. Mm-hmm. Nothing gets into the Maryland budget unless the governor puts it in. The legislature can cut it, they can restrict it, but they can't add or move it around. Right. Capital budget is an exception to that rule. A capital budget is more or less like any other bill. It's spending, generally speaking, the proceeds from state general obligation bonds, but also it can be cash. We call that pay as you go or pay go. Mm-hmm. Um, but the legislature can add money to the budget. And the flip side is the governor can line item veto things that are in the capital budget. So that's a more conventional bill. It's the annual operating bill is the one that has all these special provisions about the governor's very powerful on the front end, but then the governor has no say at the end. Once the legislature passes the budget, that's it. it's law. Right. So we are, I mean, that bill is done. It's not awaiting signature or the governor doesn't get a, another bite at that apple. With capital, he does. And um, the legislature did, in fact, go in and authorize some extra spending on capital for school construction. Mm-hmm. High profile number of county leaders were basically have planted their flag this year and said number one priority is school construction. We've got older buildings. We have renovations we've got to do. You know, we need need a better environment for our kids and, and so forth. A lot of people fresh off the campaign trail made this topic number one. Um, so a wave of money in this year's capital budget. I guess you could read that either way, that that is either in lieu of this big spending plan. We've called it the supercharged school construction. $2 billion for school construction. Right. So um, either it's in lieu of doing that or it's it's you know potentially it's like the, the jumpstart to get things going right away and phase right into that program. No, I don't think anyone expected that that new structure was going to build a school in the next six weeks. Right. So, but you know, the idea of doing a new set of revenue bonds at the state level and get the next few years being big dollars for school construction, 
still on the table. Whether that bill moves this year, whether it's in the mix for next year, I think is is uncertain. Okay, and we mentioned last week a quirky provision uh, in the Senate budget language, which has to do with transportation priorities for counties, right? And so, what you know, you have a big road show. The state goes around and hears priorities from counties. You send in your letter as a county listing right. all of your priorities. Mm-hmm. That language that was in the Senate version of the budget would have required. Uh, your delegation, both your House and Senate delegation, to approve that letter, that has been taken out of the budget bill, right, Michael? Right. So um, probably not a bad place for this to land. I, I think there was a concern that the legislative delegation wasn't you know, in, involved in that process and, and so forth. Um, the idea of actually having to go project by project and walk around a sheet of paper. I mean, you're, if you're a large jurisdiction, if you're Montgomery County or Baltimore County, you've got a lot of delegates and senators whose districts are pretty far apart. During the 90 day session, they're in town. You can call a delegation meeting. Like they're probably reading literally as we record, yes, yes. the delegations are meeting right now. Mm-hmm. So that'd be one way to catch people easily. Well, how do you do that in July? Right, right. That's, that's that's a tougher circumstance. So even even if it were a matter of everybody's on board with this project, how many initials do you get on a sheet of paper so you can send something in? Um, wh- whatever those hurdles might have been, I think we had a lot of people in saying this was a, a bridge too far. Har har. Yeah. <laughs> so, Pun intended. So so um, the compromise ends up being you have to certify that you've notified your full legislative delegation that they're aware of the things that the county plans to submit. As its local priority, so the so the so legislators are aware of what's going on, mm-hmm. but it's still the sort of the professional judgment of the local jurisdiction what goes on the priority list, and that's that's probably a better place to leave this, I think, from where we sit. How it should be, yeah, yes. Okay, so we've gone through a bit of the budget. We have a lot of coverage on our blog. If you're interested, go ahead and check that out. Michael, let's get into some of the high-profile issues in the House and the Senate this week on the floor. It was a really busy week, and and we can start with the End of Life Option Act. This is obviously a very controversial bill. We've seen some states do this, and it essentially would allow you – to end your own life. If, if after you jump a bunch of hurdles and you have to have numerous doctors sign right. off, right? It's physician assisted suicide right. under a variety of different conditions and restrictions. I mean, the House passed a version of this bill. It wasn't clear what the Senate would do. And we've been saying all three, really since, since the last, since the primaries mm-hmm. uh, last year, saying we think the floor of the Senate is sort of the most interesting venue for the legislature this term. And everybody is going to be watching the floor of the Senate for for issues that have a partisan split or you know or have heartstrings like this bill definitely does for a lot of people. This one's not a crisp, clean blue versus red no. kind of issue. Um, people's background and their family views or their personal experiences and so forth really clearly shaped this debate a lot. We heard a lot of people stand up with heartfelt arguments, really on both sides. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, this has been going on for weeks. As you said, the House passed the bill. It made it to the Senate. The Senate amended the bill. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure a if lot. the House. Yeah, a lot of a lot of. And there, I mean, there was talk on the floor of the Senate that some of the supporters of the original bill were withdrawing their support right. after seeing 
all the amendments and changes and what made it to the floor of the Senate. So that's one that's one indicator that the, you know that the Senate is not, the floor of the Senate and maybe even the Judicial Proceedings Committee who passed it out. Uh, they really wrestled with this. Uh, um, so anyway, indicator that 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 the Senate floor is still going to be an arbiter of an awful lot of tricky issues for the legislature. That's definitely what happened here. Absolutely. And so it got to the floor. And actually, you had a couple members of Judicial Proceedings make a motion to recommit the bill to committee. Those motions failed. And ultimately, we got to a vote. And Michael, the bill failed on the floor. The vote was 23 to 23. And it was, this is, this is weird. The vote was actually on, I think the bill was on second reader, yes. which is usually to move from second round to third round is sort of a perfunctory. Mm-hmm. It's a, I mean, technically you're taking a vote, but it's pretty uncommon to even, to do anything other than, well, everybody just votes okay on second reader. And then third reader is the legislature's opportunity to actually have their debate on shall the bill pass and, right. and so forth. Right. And basically the question was, shall this bill advance to third reader? And it was so contentious, they called for the question, and it was an awfully close vote. Yeah, a tie vote. And <laughs> 23 to 23. But, Michael, there are 47 senators. Hmm, this shouldn't happen, right? <laughs> so if everybody's around, if everybody is in the chamber, right, yeah. the rule is that you have to vote, right? Is, is that the, the procedural rule? Yeah. If you're in the chamber, you should be voting. Right. right? So, so I mean, and, and occasionally people like us who watch these votes closely, you can get a printout afterward and you can see who voted where. Mm-hmm. And then from time to time, there will be people who were – absent from the chamber or excused absence for some reason, or they might uh, abstain, right. abstain from a vote. Sometimes a member will will take a rule, say, you know, I work for a company that's affected by this bill, and so I'm I'm going to take the rule and, and abstain from the vote on account of a potential conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. So all those things are possible. Uh, it's unusual to have a legislator in the chamber and not able or willing to cast a vote. This is a tricky, tricky issue, and there were a lot of people, I think, conflicted and and hearing the debate on the floor. Uh, but but one senator is in that category, and and twenty three to twenty three is not a majority. That that motion fails, right? And I mean, there are times when a contested issue is defeated on the floor, and. A lot of times something, something, you know, um, in parliamentary procedure, there's a process called reconsidering a vote. You need someone on the prevailing side to, to make that motion. You can't just say, you know, the losers don't get a second bite at the apple by saying, please let us vote again. So what sometimes happens tactically is someone who, who, you know, who wants, who wants a green outcome. They see that the reds have the vote. I'm a green voter, but I'm voting red on this vote. So I can, I can have standing to ask for a reconsideration. Mm. I don't think anybody did that here. And the consensus around town is this is over. Yes. And Senator Will Smith, um, by the way, he is headed to Afghanistan today. God bless him. And we join join everybody with well wishes and and our thanks and gratitude. Yes. So it was his bill. It was his Senate bill. He stood up on the floor. And I think he has said, look, thank you to everyone for for all the Mm -hmm. debates. I'm not going to bring it back next year, but I will bring it back in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so controversial. But Senator Ovi Patterson, he said, look, I was on the floor. I didn't vote. I just couldn't decide I, I was i was literally torn and usually you know they don't deal with literally life or death issues this is a life or death issue it's right. a tough vote in general sure but senator patterson did not you know apologize he just said look 
I didn't vote because I I couldn't get myself to to green or red. Um, So is there any sort, Michael, I know it's against the rules not to vote, but, you know, what can be done? Is there going to be a slap on the wrist or or what happens? I don't think you'd do anything here. I mean, that'd be be my guess is, I mean, nominally, I'm sure there's a process where, you know, you could could do a resolution saying naughty, naughty, you know, it's your job to vote. I'm not sure anyone wants to put a colleague. I mean, I mean, that was an awfully sincere explanation when he said I was just it basically was. paralyzed by this really tricky issue. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I don't think, I don't think anybody smelled malice there. No. So, no. I mean, so effectively, but, but by, by not casting a ballot, he more or less casted a no vote right. and, and was, you know, was, I mean, it's, it's 23, 23, every vote counts. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Okay. So that bill is done for this session. We'll see if the bill comes back in the future. Michael, let's get into some vetoes. As we predicted, tis the season. Tis the season. <laughs> uh, Governor Hogan vetoed the Fight for Fifteen legislation, which would gradually increase the minimum wage to fifteen dollars per hour. He vetoed legislation overturning his executive order for the post Labor Day school start. Oh yeah, and a controversial bill uh, to take away the comptroller's power to regulate alcohol and tobacco and turn it into a, a gubernatorial commission, vetoed all three of those bills. That was on Wednesday, Michael. On Thursday, right. yesterday, uh, the General Assembly was already working to override the vetoes, and they have already wrapped up their veto overrides on Fight for 15 and on the Alcohol and Tobacco Commission right. bill. The Senate has also overridden the post-Labor Day start. It's expected that the House will do the same today. So all three of those votes on the floor of the Senate were 32 to 15, Mm -hmm. the same margin, each one, the same roster, each one. So, I mean, I think you can say like the battle lines have been drawn on issues where the legislative leadership have a fundamentally different point of view than the governor or issues where, you know, they're, these are designed to, to illustrate the difference of, you know, the point of view between the legislative leaders and the governor. We kind of know where the numbers lie now. Right. So 3215 is probably a vote we're going to see over the course of this term, probably popping up again and again. I, I, th- I think more. More or less, um, that's the working that's the working floor number on the floor of the Senate. It's enough to override a veto. It's enough to suspend the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, all those sorts of things that matter procedurally, and that you know, thirty two actually gives you, particularly for the you know, rules of the Senate, uh, a cloture vote is only a sixty percent vote there. So that gives a you know a couple couple votes to spare when you're closing debate, try and over overturn a filibuster or those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, th- I think that's. You know, for for those of us who have been watching the Senate saying that's going to be the interesting where, where things shake out, we're seeing things shake out. Three votes in a row with 32 votes to carry. Overrode, overrode two vetoes already. One goes to the House uh, today. As right. we're recording right. on Friday, we expect today the House will take up the school year. That'll be a lengthy and contentious debate, I, I would guess. Yes, I, I'm sure it will be. I mean, they've, they've already had their debate when they were passing the bill. They've already really had the debate over you know the merits of the argument and so forth. Now it's just really, are you still where you used to be? But this is it's a venue where legislators frequently want to be heard. Mm-hmm. Explain the vote, right? Explain why I'm doing this. So I would imagine you'll have both sides of this be standing up and it will be lengthy. It was very lengthy yesterday. I yeah. mean, they were on the floor for a hours long and time. Hours, yeah. So I'm sure everyone's tired. It's been an emotional week there. A lot of tough issues. So you know, I think uh, they'll be enjoying the weekend coming up, Michael. 
two two weekends left of the legislative session. So yes. we'll we'll see. We'll we'll be watching announcements today, um, particularly in the House of Delegates. I I don't think they've got committees who are backed up to the point where they'd need to be working this weekend. I mean, there are some sessions where there's a sense of panic at this point, and you know, subcommittees or whatever sometimes are coming in on Saturday and having special bill hearings and so forth. I think they're on track to be okay with the things they anticipate passing and so forth. So we got a week and a half left. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. So I think that's a good spot to take a break. When we come back, we will talk about gerrymandering and some updates there. We'll also get into some interesting bills, Michael, on tickets and milk. All right. Tickets and milk. Right? All right. All right. All that and more after the break. podcast kevin canally back here with michael sanderson michael we talked about the marathon floor sessions yesterday after all of that we had two late introduction bills and this is where <laughs> you have to stand up and ask everyone to allow you to introduce a bill late which is which is which is a fascinating moment because i mean it's it's literally it's like a public shaming process you stand up you got a sheet of paper in your hand and you're and the, the, the members start making these little whistling bomb sounds and stuff like that and it's it's sort of a a good natured i mean almost almost all the bills are allowed mm-hmm. you know you stand up and you you say well this issue just came to me I, a constituent just raised this concern or whatever and then, and then people let the bill come in and right. frequently it can get to a hearing and so forth so so the process starts with i think it's the minority leader in each chamber standing up to introduce a late filed bill and just reflexively the delegates and senators start doing their whistles and yes. their cat calls and so forth yeah, it doesn't matter what the bill right, is right exactly it it's just like oh yeah boo hoo and then 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 they say oh yeah by the way this is the governor's redistricting bill and then everybody's like oh. sit, sit up oh wait right. hold on this is a big deal <laughs> yes so we are talking about redistricting here the governor by himself appointed a redistricting commission this is one of his initiatives um, we know that this issue has been in the courts and we'll talk about the supreme court in a few minutes but this commission went around the state they heard from a bunch of folks in different areas of the state and they have come up with a new map right for for maryland's sixth and eighth congressional districts mm-hmm. and this bill would implement those maps right and so right. The bills have been introduced now. They're going to get committee hearings. But what's the process from here? Yeah, uh, hard to say. Right. I mean, a- any bill that shows up this late in session has something of an uphill struggle. And I think you described it right. The governor really single-handedly decided to pursue this approach. And we, we covered on the podcast weeks ago, and it was in the newspapers, when a federal judge said um, said the Maryland 6th Congressional District mm-hmm. looks like it was unfairly drawn and ought to be thrown out and redone. 
it, we, we talked about it's kind of weird where we are in the cycle. We're closing in on the next census already. So we're maybe talking about one term right, and before, right. before we're going to have to redraw, redraw districts anyhow. Um, so that's, that's quirky. Uh, the other, the other part is you can't change only one district. So you have to affect at least one neighboring district. And this ended up really being a debate about the sixth which is the westernmost district, and then the eighth, which is the one right against it. Right, and and those two districts um, redrawn the line between the two, uh, mostly to address the contours of the current sixth district, which includes most of Appalachian, Western Maryland, but then reaches down into Montgomery County, and some would argue deliberately so to pick up pockets of registered Democrats and bluer voters. Right. And so there's allegedly gerrymandering there. Um, And again, we mentioned this is in the courts and the Supreme Court actually heard this case this week. The yeah, governor this whole, was whole thing's in focus this week. Right. You know, we, it's it's on the table in Maryland because the the legislative proposal to redraw those two districts was introduced as this late filed bill. Mm-hmm. But literally, like within a day, happens to be the oral arguments before the Supreme Court, and it's not just the Maryland case. It's also North Carolina, another well documented issue of the statewide results looking different than statewide registration and representation. So it's the same kind of issue. And honestly, for, for people who care deeply about these topics, people like you know, Walter Olson, who was really involved in the, in the Maryland process, right. um, but people who have been following district drawing as a policy issue for years and years, this is kind of a dream setup. Super Bowl. Yeah. But in particular, having North Carolina – uh, a place where the uh, the allegation is that a Republican legislature wrote unfair districts to disenfranchise Democrats, right. and Maryland, where it's the parties in reverse, and it's a Maryland dominated legislature in you know, allegedly disenfranchising Republican voters. That's that's maybe a better context to make your you know if this is the case sure. this maybe is the pair of cases you want to get to the Supreme Court so it doesn't look like it's purely you know one of these matters where it's team red and team blue and then it looks a little weird for the legis- for the for the members of the Supreme Court to suddenly take the side of the you know the party who appointed them and you know everybody gets always gets suspicious at that level right so. We talked about the late intro introduction bills. I'm not sure there's an appetite for those bills to move, but right. we said, you know, the Supreme Court is hearing these cases. Governor Hogan was in Washington. Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. Right. It was it was a big fanfarish <laughs> event. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, PR. Arnold Schwarzenegger appears he, to be living his best life. He is. <laughs> he's always been living his best life. I mean, he he just kind of does what he wants to do. Yeah. I'm not going to hate on that. Right. So, um, the Supreme Court, Michael, they heard the case. We 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 probably won't get a decision until June. Yeah, this looks like it's a. I mean, it looks like it's set up for an end of the term filing, but probably the month of June of this year, we'll hear finally what the feds what the feds have to say. This has been a tricky issue. So, I mean, for the for the moment, let's let's assume that the state legislation doesn't pass. Right. I think that I think that might be where the smart. Money I put my is. money there. Yeah. So, so what is Maryland going to do? Well, we'll probably find out in June what the feds think and try and. I mean, you know, the Supreme Court is not really our stomping grounds. You know, we're we're trying to count heads. There has sure. been always sure. been tricky, but people who follow these issues. 
sort of felt like Justice Kennedy leaving the Supreme Court was a big deal Mm -hmm. because he was one of the the typical, usually conservative majority, but he seemed – more open than most of his conservative peers to saying, I'm inclined to support states' rights generally, but this might be a fundamental sort of issue. Um, some of you, you know, like like judges like Alito, are more strict. I think I think there's a consensus that that, that Justice Thomas and Judge Alito are most likely to be thinking. This is a state's issue. This is not a fundamental right to have partisan type representation. Right. It's different than size of districts where, you know, you, a state legislature back in the Baker versus Carr decisions in the 60s and so forth. You know, this, this seems like a different kind of fight. This is not a, but, you know, they're reluctant to get into that political thicket, right? So, so, so enter Justice Kavanaugh. So Kavanaugh replaces Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And so this is not the kind of topic that anyone was talking about during his confirmation process. But lo and behold, um, we've got Kavanaugh, who was he was you know, born in D.C. but raised in Maryland in the in the D.C. suburbs. He knows the communities we're talking about. I mean, right. firsthand grew up in the areas we're talking about with one of these cases. So that's when, a big when, deal to, to yeah. know and actually have been to these areas right. and, and see the, the different populations and where these lines are drawn. Right. That says a lot, right? Yeah. So, so I, I think a lot of people watching these cases feel that the newest justice on the Supreme Court, who's from Maryland, who knows the areas that the litigants are talking about, at least in the Maryland case. Um, it's possible he'll have some philosophical sympathy for those saying you know, political uh, political overreach by a, by a local legislative body ought to be you know ought to be a subject for federal courts to step in. So I mean, yeah. typically, like you said, if you're just counting heads and you go R R R R, yeah, reds and blues here. You say you know, but this might not be the case. Yeah, it might not be. I, I do think. I mean, another interesting piece though is back when Maryland did these maps, it was controversial mm-hmm. and it was taken to referendum. So this isn't purely a product of the state legislature. It was contested, put on the ballot in 2012, and then Maryland voters supported it almost two to one. So to say like this was this was a, a backward system by a state deciding to rig the deck, uh, in Maryland at least, there was more process than that. And I, I would wonder whether that itself might weigh on the justices who are trying to decide, you know, did Maryland do enough process to come up with these maps? You, you putting, it before so. the, putting it before the voters seems right. like a, a pretty big deal. Right. I mean, we, I mean, we've seen ballot initiatives from California get struck down and held up in court. People vote for nonsense and it turns out right. it's unconstitutional. That happens. But anyway, I, I, it's, it's fascinating if you're into politics and policy. Yeah. And certainly it's going to be interesting. We'll, ha- we'll probably have to wait until June, but we will be following this closely and we'll give you any updates along the way. But know that a major decision is going to come down in June and it's really going yep. to de- decide. Maryland is going to have to either make a, a move very quickly to get this done yep. or they'll be able to wait until after the census, which would be more traditional. Right. OK, so let's get into some interesting bills, Michael. We love to look at interesting bills, stuff that we find fascinating. And, and we're not going to talk about highway user revenue. We're not going to talk about Kerwin. No, no, so, no. Right? so we're going to talk about other odds and ends, but just stuff that like you know, we, th- we think is interesting. Yeah, and so the first one here is new rules for ticket resellers. So, Michael, have you ever <laughs> been ripped off by, you know, you buy tickets from somebody, they never show up, or, they, you know, it turns out they never had them. Or they're bogus tickets. Or they're bogus. I, that's happened to me once, right? Oh. I, got, I got sold tickets, and it's like, I, I'm, I've got seat C-17. There's like, there is no row C, and then 
that section, sir. This is not a ticket. Sir, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sir, no, no, sir. <laughs> Get out. Right. So that happens. And we are seeing a bill move through the General Assembly that is essentially a consumer protection bill. And it's designed to protect folks from being ripped off by these so-called speculative tickets. And I, I love that term. It yeah, is defined. No, it, right. I, I, did, I didn't know this was a thing. Never heard of it. But that, I guess that's why they're that's why they're talking about a bill. Right. Because consumers don't realize I just went on I went onto a service, I'm on this app or I'm on a website or whatever, and I just paid money for the tickets. And it turns out they don't even have the right. tickets yet. They basically say, well, if you give a, if you give us 40 bucks a seat, we'll find the ticket. Right, right. We'll get it. We'll get it. Don't worry about it. Just give us the cash. But they don't have the tickets. So this bill defines that, that term, and it also would require a reseller to disclose that actually the tickets they're offering are indeed speculative, a number of other disclosures. And so if you're trying to sell me tickets, Michael, and I give you the cash, you right. have to tell me, by the way, I don't have these tickets yet. I think I can get them. I got the channels to get them, but I don't have them yet. And then I can make a decision of whether or not right. I want to hand you cash. So right. so this is a transparency. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's sort of stepping into that private transaction and saying, at least in Maryland, you should, you should have some consumer protections and know what you're being sold is sort of a pledge as opposed to a thing we've already got in hand. Right. And, and also it, yeah. here, I mean, you would have to refund my money if you didn't deliver the tickets within 24 hours of the date you told me I was going to get them. Right, right. And that, that's another significant step. And while we are on this subject, Michael, in <laughs> Virginia, they actually passed a law that makes it easier to resell tickets. And personally, I love this law because I have been affected by this scenario multiple times. So let's see, Michael, just, just for the sake here, if, go along with me. So let's say you buy tickets to your favorite band, right. right? You're all excited. And then you look at the calendar and you realize, oh, you know. I can't actually make it because maybe you'll be in Guam that week on right, vacation. Yeah, exactly. or, I'm not missing that. You know, you're on a, a podcast tour or whatever, <laughs> right? So no problem. You're just going to sell them, right? You sell them on Ticketmaster's website or another website. Someplace, right? Wrong. So oh. unless that concert is sold out, Ticketmaster has a policy that prohibits you from reselling on its website. And they also have a policy that you can't sell them anywhere else, right? So no problem. Maybe you'll sell them to me because I can't go to Guam, you know. No, again, you can't sell them to me either because Ticketmaster's policies require that when I show up to the concert, I have to show my ID or credit card that was used to purchase those tickets. Right, so they're treating it almost like an airplane flight, Absolutely. which has always been about security. And this has just turned into like that ticket is a personal ownership matter, right. non-transferable, and it's our business. And it's ridiculous. So, I mean, honestly, yeah. I, I, I have been in this spot and it's awful and it's so stupid. And so Virginia is addressing the issue. So they so they step in and say you can't deny someone access on like that like the ID grounds basically. Yeah, you can't discriminate against someone right. who has a, you know a ticket that's been resold or has purchased mm. a resold ticket. Right. So so now I won't have to show my ID or my credit card. You'll be in Guam. I'll be at the concert. All will be good. All right. So one, I mean, this is like one of our favorite subplots. Just talking about policy issues on the podcast is this wasn't a thing thirty years ago. Right. I mean, right. I mean, I mean. I'm sure you know there would be ads in the paper 30 years ago from time to time saying, "Hey, you know, who wants to go see Fleetwood Mac? You know, I can't take my tickets. I got four seats. Who wants right. to buy them?" And you've always had the scalpers you know, outside. Right? Yeah, right. I mean, that's always been a thing, and and you know, it's either illegal or it's you know governed or whatever that sort of mm -hmm. thing. But now you've got you know they're they're checking they're checking scans. They're going to do a retina scan on your way in and take blood and all these sorts of things. So okay, so you know Maryland and Virginia having different approaches to the a new look in in ticketing markets. Okay, I get that. Now, right. so 
it does once again though it challenges like what's the role of state government here and under the commerce clause the state governments aren't aren't they're not that's not the venue to fight matters of inter, interstate commerce that's right. supposed to be in the congress so i'm not sure I mean, Maryland's law doesn't sound terribly intrusive, but the one from Virginia sounds like it might be. I mean, somebody might sue the Commonwealth of Virginia and point out you can't tell. I mean, Ticketmaster's you know, based in L.A. or mm-hmm. Seattle or whatever. You know, you can't tell them how to run business in Virginia. I, I don't know. I don't know how that plays out. Consumer protection stuff. Most states have a variety of laws like sure, that. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, Ticketmaster. It was a, a big loss for them. They fought yeah, the legislation. Sure. So I would not be surprised if there is some litigation upcoming. But this is another example, like you said, of states trying to catch up with new technology. That is one of our favorites. And, you know, it's another question of interstate commerce. And there are a number of issues, seems like more and more and more, that are challenging uh, interstate commerce. But we will see. We will see. I haven't heard anything about it being unconstitutional, but I'm sure there will be some challenges there. So yeah. I'm happy. So I, if, I, if, I, if I lived <laughs> right. in Virginia— So far, so good. <laughs> yeah, I'd be very happy. Okay, another bill, Michael. And I know you you and I have talked about this, and um, I'll let you talk about this bill, but let me introduce it as the milk bill, okay? <laughs> this was—I'm telling you, this hearing was hours long. I mean, this <laughs> right. was really contentious. Right. Right, and, we, and this all has to do with— we know now there are several plant-based milk alternatives, right? So we have soy, rice, coconut, oat, nut, you know, right. almond, cashew, right. whatever, yep. quinoa, hemp, all these alternatives, sure. and they call them milk. Right, right. 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 So, so it's, you know, it's like a milky-looking, generally white-colored beverage that comes out of some sort of plastic or, you know, cardboard container, that sort of thing. And, you know, you put it in the in a, in a shape, same shape as a milk jug or whatever, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And people would pour it over their cereals or splash it into their coffee or do milk type things with it but is it milk right and i mean you you've always tried to convince me look almond milk not that bad it's good i'm I'm an almond milk guy and i'm I'm, I'm this guy so but it's an interesting issue also here is is there a consumer matter here by labeling something as milk are you are you pulling a fast one on the consumer at some level by labeling this as milk? I mean, generally, this is the the Food and Drug Administration or the mm-hmm. Department of Agriculture are the ones who oversee food labeling and things of that nature. And so, like at the FDA, I'm sure has probably a 600 page regulation on what milk is and how do you have to pasteurize it and how do you have to process it and you know these other things of, of that nature, right? So the FDA mostly is in this business but a definition of what is milk sort of implies that if it's not milk you shouldn't be able to call it milk and that's what this bill is about this bill is saying if it's not if it's not a dairy product from a female mammal right and there's this whole definition in there i mean the, the, the list goes on and on right we got reindeer and everything in there hooved <laughs> mammals right i mean yeah it is a very um, very clear cut definition <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't, what do you think about this? I mean, I know these plant-based alternatives. The question is, should you be able to call them milk? 
And I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting issue. Yeah, sa- same thing's actually going on with other products. There's the same thing happening with mayonnaise. That mm. mayonnaise is, is, I think, defined by the FDA as a product that includes eggs. And some people don't want to have eggs in their mayonnaise. Right. So there's companies coming out saying, well, here's a, a vegan-friendly, egg-free mayonnaise. Well, well you know, big mayos out there saying, don't do this. So here's here's basically the, the dairy industry more or less saying, we own the term milk. If you want to have a a white colored chalky beverage, you know, call it that. Call it chalk. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so this is another one where interstate commerce comes into play. Right. And the, and the, the twist in this bill, yeah. I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this. No. So this bill got out of the house, uh, or excuse me, got out, out of the, the Senate, Senate yeah. and it, it's awaiting action in the house, but the bill is contingent on enacting similar laws in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia. Right. So this is like an interstate compact. Right. And Michael, is it is it interesting to you right. where those states are located <laughs> geographically? Right. You, you think it's a coincidence mm-hmm. that they picked states that are sort of more southward from here? We're no. the we're the northeast corner of that that segment of the U.S. Uh, I I don't I don't know if this is something that is you know that, that has been inspired by you know the ALEC conference or uh, this is being introduced in other legislatures uh, this has been a state by state fight or right. if this is a one of a kind thing but this idea that uh, this won't become law just because we pass it in Maryland it becomes law if that whole list of southeastern states all agree that this is what we are we're signing up for so multiple hurt- hurdles there for yeah. this to actually you know have an impact in Maryland but it is interesting and i guess that's the way they they get around that interstate interstate commerce issue um, and again, this is another one where that, that issue is popping up, but we'll have to see what happens in the House. Again, it got out of the Senate. It was amended. And I think one of the big amendments was we're going to make it contingent on laws passing in all of these states. Right. So it, it, interesting stuff, both like the, the nuts and bolts of trying to pass a bill that might on its face be unconstitutional. How do you fix that? Because it's an interstate commerce matter. But then also, like, is this is this really – is this a problem that needs fixing? I'm not, I'm not sure if I can speak for everybody who's looking at soy milk and almond milk and rice milk and so forth. I thought you were like the, I am not, the arbiter of so I, almond and soy and so plant-based I'm, I, milk. I mean, I, I'm, I'm that guy and my yeah. family and I use that product, but I, I don't think don't. there's that many people out there who are confused mm. whether this is from an animal, even if it says like rice milk. Yes, I, 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 I tend to agree with that. I mean – but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Obviously, some folks think it's an issue. So yeah. maybe maybe we leave it there for this week and we'll think about it's, how yeah. we should define milk and maybe we'll we'll try and get back to our list. Maybe it'll be Mako's initiative bill yeah, for next year. So, so we need stuff to do, right? All right. Better start getting on. Getting the well, we got a week and a half left in this session. Maybe we'll, yes. t- we'll pick up a new issue. Right? So we do have a week and a half left. Michael, um, <laughs> Sine Die is coming and we will have a big wrap up. Uh, we'll have an episode next week, but then I, I expect we'll do a big wrap up of Sine Die and, and update folks on where everything landed. And so. Yeah, we'll do that on. Uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, okay. maybe Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. <laughs> might, might be good. Let's uh, yeah, let's be realistic. Okay, so that'll do it for this week. Michael and Kevin signing off. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a like, subscribe, share it with your friends. It really helps get our message out. Until next week, Michael and Kevin signing off, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>